Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We should do a song to warm up. What, what was that song you were just singing? Who sung that again? Inner Circle. Do you want to keep it that way? everyone and welcome to episode 13 of not another whiskey podcast unlucky for some but not for us on this episode because we're going to be sipping on some great whiskies and talking about one of scotland's newest and hottest whiskey brands so if you're looking for some chat from whiskey geeks about scotch whiskey and a wee peek behind the curtain into the world of independent scotch whiskey bottlers you've actually come to the right place this time this is true my man mitch we're going to be looking at the world of independent bottlers or as us whiskey freakies like to call them indie bottlers or as they are often written about ib bottlers that's like all the lingo you need to know about this kind of stuff now we're going to chat about what they are uh, how they got started digging into some of the big guys within this world and something actually that's uh, very close to what i'm up to at the moment uh, we're going to go over and chat to callum laurie about Fable, which is uh, a new kid on the block in terms of indie bottlers. Um, and I, as you, you know, met you know, I've, I've just started working with these guys recently and um, it's really cool actually, because a couple of guys like us who've worked mainly for distillers um, rather than indie bottlers, uh, it's a different side of the coin really, isn't it? Absolutely, mate. Uh, and we're gonna, we're gonna chat about that. I think that's gonna be a great conversation that we're gonna get into uh, a little bit later on, but uh, mm-hmm. before we get into all this, let's hear what you've been up to this week, mate. I see you've been, uh, been a busy boy with the new website and everything, right? Oh, I know. Yeah, we've been busy on that front. But actually, in terms of whiskey stuff, um, I haven't been that busy on the whiskey front. I, I went to I went to Johnny Walker Princess Street uh, the other day. I got caught up with TJ up there, and we did some filming and uh, some tasting of of Johnny Walker Black Label. But because COP twenty six is on. Uh, we kind of got booted out pretty quickly because the Kenyan prime minister or pre- president, prime minister, isn't it, over there? Um, he uh, he came and we had to leave. Otherwise, we were probably going to get killed because there was about 25 Secret Service people knocking about and cavalcades and police escorts and everything like that. So we were um, welcome for a very short period of time, but we got what we needed to get and that was good. But uh, you've uh, you've been running around again out and about what's been happening. Yeah, mate. So I was up at the Speyside Whiskey Festival, which was a little bit of a, a kind of distilled down uh, event compared to what it normally is, pun intended there. Uh, but yeah, kind of weird for it to be in November, you know, um, but a really small event. It was, uh, it was saying small. I think they still had around about 400 events going on up there. So mm-hmm. there was a lot going on, uh, but Larkfire was one of the sponsors. So uh, took the guys up there. We stayed at Copperbrock. It was kind of cool. We did a, uh, we, I mean, we did loads of stuff. Did a, a Stillman's tour with Willie at Cardew. Uh, I mean, amazing to see Cardew. If you're going to go up to Cardew, it's worth going in there for the tour just to see their brand home video. It's mm. absolutely amazing. They've got it on this like 15 foot high screen. And then there's another two screens to the other side. So you get this almost like 3D effect. But really cool video as well, the way they, they put it all together. Uh, so it's changed that. days, eh? Changed days up there. Because I remember when we used to go up there, Cardew historically was the home of Johnny Walker Red Label, right? Yeah. And remember in the old kiln, they had all the old merch. They had ice buckets and striding men and, and stuff like that. 
The thing that I remember most about Cardu was the smell. And it, the still house actually smells like pear drops. It, it, it's so vivid. Uh, I remember it like it was yesterday, that smell, you know? Well, and that's where all that is, mate. So, you know, where they, uh, they've got this, the, this, the video, like I say, in the kiln. And then the other part, remember where there's the, the mantelpiece and all that, and there's mm-hmm. like strident man. That's like the tasting center now. So oh, really cool yeah. to see it all. Like I was sitting there doing the tasting with Willie and I'm like, oh, I remember bringing people in here and doing tastings here. And, and they got a nice little shop there as well. So really cool. They've actually got a little cocktail bar outside. But obviously, because it's November, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't mm-hmm. running at that point in time. Uh, but what else did we do? I went, went to Ben Reich. Did a little tasting there. That was really cool catching up with those guys. I uh, did the usual stuff. Went to, uh, you know, Highlander for dinner and, and the Darwins and all that kind of jazz as well. So, and then I went to a, a nice dinner on Friday night at Glen Fiddick, which was ho- hosted by Mark Thompson. Uh, so that was cool catching up with um, Ian Miller, uh, the uh, the the uh, Finland whiskey girls were there as well. They'd come over from Finland. So it was nice meeting them. Five course dinner uh, paired with some amazing Glen Fiddicks as well. We mm-hmm. had Snow Phoenix, we had a uh, 1976 Glenfiddich, and a Glenfiddich that was bottled for COP26. Which I know we're going to get onto a little bit of, of COP26 in just yeah. a second. Yeah. So. Uh, and a quick question, um, more for my vanity than anything else. Did you meet any listeners of our podcast on your travels, Mitch? Was there anyone that you bumped into that was like, oh, I listened to your podcast. I, I got caught off guard a couple of weeks ago at that Naked event, and three people said to me, oh, they listened to the podcast, and I was... I was quite surprised. I was taken aback by that. Yeah, yeah, mate, absolutely. Yeah, I met a, a few people, which was was kind of cool. It's uh, and and that's been happening a lot. So thank you to everyone who's come up to us uh, and said, you know, they've been listening. We we really do appreciate it. Das Mitch's whiskey news of the week. Well, what's been happening? Um, I'm really excited. So we had, obviously, Brendan McCarran was on with us uh, only a few episodes ago, and uh, we have been quite vocal and open about our love for Bunahaven. And I was delighted to hear uh, that their 12-year-old will also now have a big brother slash sister, which is now a cask-strength 12-year-old. And I think it's a standard release, which is really, really exciting because you're basically just getting all of that lovely nuttiness or that fruitiness that Bunahavan has, and it's just going to be turned right up to 11. So they announced that just last week. I am awaiting a sample. Um, I hear it's coming very, very shortly. You're probably not going to get one, Mitch, hopefully. Or you've probably got a bottle already, don't you? I haven't, actually, but, uh, you know, Brendan, if you're listening, you got my address, mate. <laughs> Keep them coming, Brendan. <laughs> uh, but congratulations on getting that one out the door. That's a, that's a big uh, big release from them. Super exciting. And as you've already alluded to, there were, I saw quite a few pictures of whiskey people involved in COP26. I saw Becky hosting a panel with people like Nicholas Sturgeon, which is um, was very exciting. Uh, a few of our pals as well, we saw knocking about around COP26. And you've tasted... You tasted a whiskey um, from that was bottled for COP26, a nice Glenfiddich, and I saw a blend that uh, was released. I saw that on the Keepers of the Quake uh, Facebook page. So fairly uh, fairly active on the COP26 slash whiskey chat. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, Mark Thompson was sitting, he sat down with uh, Al Gore, gave him a little taste of that Glenfiddich that, that we all tried on Friday. So quite interesting. Perfect. But I, th- I, well, I, I think, I think the- that's an interesting one, isn't it, from a... COP26, sustainability, and, and you know, I, I think there's an episode within that where we could go and have a look and see what people are up to. You know, you go to Nick Nian and you see what they're doing with their, their fuel. Um, just as I was finishing up with White and Mackay, the guys were talking a lot about uh, hydrogen energy uh, being generated just out at the top of the Cromarty Firth, and that would be able to fuel all the distilleries in that part of the world. So you've got uh, Tainanish, you've got uh, Dalmore, then you go up to Glen Morangie, Balblair, and things like that. So you know that that and and not to not to forget Invergordon, of course, the grain distillery. You know, so there's a a lot of work going on in that space, and it'd be cool to get someone, an expert of that particular field, get them on and tell us what's happening. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's so much going on. You got Diageo putting in solar farms. Uh, you know, uh, Wayne Grant and Sons are doing a lot with it as well. They've just created those lorries that run off yeah. the draft, basically. Yeah. Uh, you know, William Grant and Sons have always been big on their anaerobic digesters. Glenfiddich is pretty much running uh, 80, 90% now. I think the energy that they produce is, mm-hmm. you know, getting put back into the grid for, for what they use. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. And I, I think when we talk about Scotch whiskey, 
the the footprint is massive. You're talking about casks that are shipped from the US, you know, mm-hmm. 90% of which that we use. And then you think about, I think it's around about 120-ish countries that we export to around the world. So you think about shipping all those uh, all those bottles. We definitely have to do something to reduce that carbon footprint. So anything anything is positive, obviously, in this day and age with regards to that, for sure. Definitely. Okay, and now on to um, global, worldwide breaking news. Um, it's massive. This is huge, actually. This is probably the biggest thing that's ever happened. Crazy. At Not Another Whiskey Podcast. I am here to tell you that we had our very first winner of our Instagram giveaway. The winner won a signed bottle of Deanston Virgin Oak signed by master distiller Brendan McCarran. And our winner was Whiskey Crack. Whiskey Crack has won it. He says he's never won anything like this before. And we're his first. So I'm very pleased for him. I'm very pleased well, for crack. us. There you go. That's good. Well done. Yeah. And um, I'm very pleased for the world of whiskey. I think whiskey is the winner here. Whiskey is the winner here. Is yeah. that what you just said? That's what I just said. I said that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so whiskey crack. Well done, mate. And also thanks very much for entering and listening and stuff like that. Uh, we, we look forward to hearing how you get on with that bottle of Deanston. And I've been told that I have to make a public apology as well. Well, um, actually, you, episode. You, you've let yourself down. Um, you've let your friends down and you've let your co-host down here. Uh, we hosted a lovely session. I really did enjoy the last one, uh, the Cigar Malt podcast. It was brilliant. Um, and when you went up to Spirit of Speyside, uh, you, were, you were informed of something that um, was quite disappointing. I was, mate. I went up to... Um... The Craig Elkey Lodge, owned by Scott. Beautiful part, uh, well, beautiful place to stay up in Speyside. Almost as nice as Copper Brock. Not quite there, but, you know, it, uh-huh. it gets there. But, um, yeah, Scott's got a little bar there, and uh, he pulls out a bottle of cigar malt that we failed to mention. Uh, so the uh, Corrymore Cigar Reserve Whiskey, which both of us, both of us, Daz, uh-huh. never heard of before, yeah, he's one that we've he's not my mate. He's not my mate, is he? He's not. He's not your. If mate, he was my mate, mate, I would know what he's what he does. That's between me and you. He's not my mate anymore either. You're dead to him. Yeah. <laughs> he's got you out. <laughs> but he pulled it out in front of people. You know, shamed me, shamed oh, me in his bar. So good, honestly, so good. Brutal. No, I'm oh, well, well, there's, there's another mate, cigar malt out thanks, there. That, that, thanks for pointing that out. That that, that, disgraceful, disgraceful. Anyway, right. Let's let's move on before we. Completely annihilate you, uh, your character. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into this, Daz. So I thought it'd be nice to give this episode a little bit of context before we get into it. It's, it's, it you know, not everyone listening may have cr- come across uh, an independent bottling before in their, their whiskey drinking career. So for those that are kind of new to this whole concept, uh, independent bottling is a company or it could be a person who basically seeks out whiskey from a distillery they will then bottle that whiskey under their own label, uh, sometimes mentioning the distillery, but sometimes they don't. And that all depends on the, the agreement from the actual distillery, whether they can do that or not. Now, I think the great thing about this concept is it allows you to see what a distillery has produced in a different light. And my analogy for this is if you think about the car world, you can go in and, and just buy a car in the showroom uh, you know, drive out there. Everyone's going to recognize that car driving down the street. But then you take these guys that are really skilled that kind of tune it and and make it completely outrageous, almost unrecognizable from that original car. That's kind of like what an independent bottler will do. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to try and change completely what the original distillery was trying to to get across, but they want to put their own mark on it by maybe just the bottle or, you know, a unique style of bottle or recasking it to make it taste a little bit different. Most of the time, they are always going to be at cast strength. There's very few independent bottles that I've seen that sit, you know, low 40% ABV. Um, So it's quite an interesting sort of relationship, I suppose, that distillers and independent bottlers have had over the years. Now, I know when times are really good, distilleries look at independent bottlers as almost like a, a parasite. Uh, you know, pretty harsh to say that, but they, they're thinking like, well, we can sell all this liquid ourselves. Why do we need to set, send it off to anyone to tamper with it and put our name on it? 
Um, but then you look at times such as the time that we've just gone through, which you know has been uh, COVID and uh, distilleries may not have been selling as much as they, they, they once had. Suddenly the independent bottlers are their best friends mm-hmm. and they know that they can easily sell this liquid, get that cash up front and, 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 and get that going really well. So it's kind of like this love hate relationship uh, that's gone on between distillers and independent bottle bottlers over the, over the years. And I think that's got a lot better over time. Um, but I think one of the things that we should do Daz, is just talk about, you know, the history, how these guys all kind of came around uh, and how it all came around when, when we're talking about these independent bottlers that are out there today. Yeah. I mean, there's some of them go back a long time, don't they? Um, it's quite interesting, actually. I was just reading today uh, that Jai G. Thompson, uh, one of the old independent bottlers from the 1700s based out of Leith, their brand is being revived and they just announced it today, owned by the Malt Whiskey Society. Um, so, you know, there is a, there's definitely a thirst there for uh, more of these and, and where they do come from and some of these well-established, long-established sort of family businesses really is what most of these independent bottlers were, do go back a long time, right into the kind of 1800s. And you've got companies like Caden Heads and Gordon and McPhail who, who are instantly recognizable. And, and it's funny, isn't it? Because when you talked about your car analogy, take Mercedes and they give it to Brabus and Brabus spec it up and put the bells and whistles on it and, and give you a car that kind of looks like a Mercedes, but it's very different, behaves very differently. It is like that. But a Brabus is very expensive comparative to you know, the initial model that it's, it's, it's sort of dressed up with. Whereas whiskey is actually slightly different to that. It's the same idea. You get somebody who, who has a different perception of what this whiskey can be, but more often than not, the indie bottler is cheaper than the proprietary bottler, uh, dependent on, you know, like for like, that is, you know, at the same strength, at the same age, you would usually charge more at a distillery than you would as an indie bottler. So there is a slight sort of change there. And I think that's probably where Caden Head's, uh, Gordon McPhail's, you know, these really traditional kind of independent bottlers. I suppose that's where their interest has has always been. These are novelty products. These are not run-of-the-mill, regular, everyday things. They're actually quite specialist. So you do go into independent bottlers. Generally, you do need a little bit of knowledge to know what it is that you're buying because the distilleries don't always carry the name. Um, or the bottles don't always carry the name of the distillery, for example. So, you know, I remember at Highland Park, we we would sell our new make spirit as something else. Um, so you don't see lots of Highland Park independent bottlings, certainly from 2005 onwards. Um, you were talking, we were talking today about Glenfiddich and Balvenie and things like that. And yeah. these guys, you know, have built up stocks. Um, and if they've had them for a long time, they may use the distillery name. But if they bought them more recently, they'll find that quite challenging. So the older guys, the guys that have been around for a long time, Lanes and McPhail's been there for a long time, lots of family business orientated sort of setups and things like that. And then as time goes on, you start to see guys who came into it a little bit later on. But like in the 80s, when uh, consumption was down, um, whiskey, there were whiskey lakes, you know, there was distilleries closing all over the place, all the way through the 80s into the early 90s, a terrible decade, to be honest, for whiskey. Then independent bottlers become really interesting because they're helping you, you know, move stock on. They're building a market up again, you know, and developing that kind of niche, novel, but high value consumer group. Um, so, yeah, there, there's some guys have done it for a long time and done it really, really well. And there's people who have come into it much later on. But I think Sam Aroli, um, one of the guys that really helped build the credibility and trust within independent bottlers is unquestionable. Like the Samaroli bottlings are really highly sought after. Uh, the Italian market in the 70s and into the 80s was the number one malt whiskey market in the world. Um, and he was really one of the first ones to release it as kind of cask strength, as, as a standard, you know, so unadulterated, purest whiskey stuff. And they loved it. And now those bottles sell for a lot of money because they came to Scotland they literally could, before visitor centers, these guys were knocking on the doors of distilleries and being guided by stillmen and maltmen and things like that. They were selecting casks going, these ones are absolutely sensational. Can we get those from distilleries that people didn't really know much about? And I'm talking about distilleries like Klein Leash, for example. Um, you know, some of the Samaroli bottlings of Klein Leash are really highly sought after 
very highly revered whiskies and absolutely sensational. So independent bottlers have a good reputation of delivering great whiskies at good price points. And people behind them who really, really care about the quality, and that's Gordon McPhail, it's your signatories, it's your Adelphi's, all of these guys, Samaroli's. And I love that, you know, because it's it's a different world, actually, and it's very different to the branded world that, that we are both very familiar with. And we're openly, you know, we're not as familiar with the indie bottlers. Yeah, I think our problem mate, is we've always had uh, some amazing juice to drink from the actual distilleries that we've worked for in the past. Yeah. You know? So it's for us. I, and I remember as well, one of the first independents I had was a little bit off. I didn't really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I think that put me off at an early stage. I've got a friend, a good friend of mine, uh, Scott, and that's all he, he buys is independent bottles. And mm-hmm. he's, he's mad for it, you know? So I always kind of actually refer to him a lot because I'm like, well, what's, what, what's good? What have you been buying? And I think it can be hit and miss. I think it's more hit these days than it is miss. You know, I think the reputation of independent bottlers has, has gone really kind of through the roof. And I, I think what people that are listening have to remember is back in the day, a lot of the time uh, the distilleries would just offload casks that, that weren't that great, that they, they would never use. And you had a lot of what you called, I mean, uh, you know, aside from the guys that we've mentioned already, but you had other independent bottles that were called armchair bottlers and mm-hmm. they just didn't care as to what they were getting. It just on paper, they saw they were getting a cask. They're like, Oh, great. Let's just bottle that. Whereas, you know, you have a lot of these other guys that are physically going around, uh, tasting things, mm-hmm. seeing what everything is and then, and then taking it from there. Yeah. Um, they were almost like the casks that you might call them outliers, you know, that for whatever reason, they didn't quite fit in with distillery style and things like that. So they were just like, well, maybe move them on to another blender, you know, maybe do the reciprocal deals in the background or, or move them on to some of the indie bottlers, you know, or maybe an experiment that just didn't go right for them. I think what's interesting now is a lot of these independent bottlers are getting really young liquid, uh, you know, and casking it themselves and then recasking it yeah. to, to make something very interesting and, 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 and very uh, unusual, which is great to see as well. Or one of the things I think we should, we talk, should, we should talk about as well is how many of these guys are starting to get their own juice going. You know, you've got Adelphi with Arda Merkin now going yeah. back to some a distillery that's very green. It's got this biomass going on. Uh, they're using hydro for their electricity. We've got mm-hmm. Gordon and McPhail for uh, Ben Romick. They've, they've had that for a long time now. Probably, mm-hmm. I don't know, probably like 10 years at least. Maybe more. I, I think it's maybe longer. 13, yeah. Maybe 14 yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, they're just building the Cairn distillery. I know that because I mm. drive past it all the time going up to Speyside. Mm. It's looking pretty close now. You know, Elixir, uh, Sukinda Singh, about to open uh, Isla. So Elixir uh, have uh, the Port Escague line. And yeah. uh, what's the other one they do? Elements. Elements, that's it. Yeah. Elements series. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, those three guys, just to start off with, have, have all got distilleries. Yeah. No, no, totally. And, and that's, it seems to be the kind of pattern. And, and why not? The other thing that's really interesting, and I, and I know this from my times at McAllen, is some of the stock that these guys have. You touched on it there. I guess maybe the perception is that maybe the independent bottlers only have young stock. That's I know that's not the case. So the oldest whiskey ever released was released by Gordon and McPhail. So they have older stock of Glenlivet than Glenlivet do. Um, and and McAllen, not too dissimilar, you know. I know I know Gordon McPhail had quite a lot of old McAllen at one point. Um, so it's really interesting when you sort of hear what's going on there and why, because you know, years and years ago, it would have been very difficult to predict what was going to happen in the early two thousands with single malt whiskey, and, and it really has shot up very quickly in that sort of twenty one years. Um, and it and it wasn't so rosy in the 90s so you know people were moving stock around and people sat on things played the long game maybe played a bit of it was a bit of luck involved with that for sure as well um so some of the independent bottlers have got some old juice and they've maybe sat on it for a long time looked after it in their own wood so that you know the, the the quality cues are absolutely there and that's why you know you see an 80 year old glenlivet being released not from the distillery from gordon mcphail uh, itself which is which is super cool and I think as well, the other cool thing is that some of these guys are now starting to create experiences. You know, you've yeah. got uh, Douglas Lane, which is about to, um, well, I know they've, they've started work on this hotel in Huntley, which is going to be yeah. interesting to see. 
and then our friends at the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, you know, four locations in the UK. Uh, one of them we've, we've sat at and done a, an episode from before, but they also have over 100 international partner bars, which is, you know, not a physical location, but these bars all around the world stock all their independent bottlings, which are, uh, which are always fun to see, especially their names and descriptions. Yeah. Yeah. And just to go back to Gordon McPhail, it was quite interesting. I, we, we met a few guys, you bumped into them up in Speyside the other week there. Um, I, I know there was a group uh, with Stephen Rankin at Gordon McPhail this week, another group that, that we know. Um, Gordon McPhail do that very, very well. You know, they've got sample rooms. They have a library of cask samples that they take people through to let them understand the, the different generations that have passed through that family, the Arkerts, and, and also where they're at today in terms of their inventory and things like that. So not just a deep um range of of whiskies but very broad you know they've built up a number of casks from almost all of the distilleries over a long period of time and everybody that goes there leaves saying it was absolutely sensational um personally i've not been up but um i'm sure if we speak to mr rankin very nicely he'll let us go in and, and sniff we, a few samples yeah yeah we we head there to steven yes please um, sir if you're listening uh, the other thing that you didn't mention and i, I will mention it um is uh, the hunter lane uh, story there as well because that's a brilliant story and I, I we've spoken about this three or four times I'm, I'm, I'm in love with Arden Hole as a distillery as a place to go I, I always drop in the setting is insane um, and it's great to see these independent bottlers actually really at the forefront of kind of pushing the boundaries of what a distillery can be from a you know a sustainability sort of energy point of view from an experiential point of view and actually from a hospitality point of view as well because that's a part that sometimes we skim over but people are traveling to scotland from all over the world and when they arrive at one of these distilleries they do need to be looked after properly and i think what a lot of these new distilleries are doing is upping the standard of hospitality you know how do you look after people how do you make great coffee you mentioned there are uh, a distillery cardo's now got a bar Every distillery should have a bar. We serve drinks. It's mad that distilleries never had bars up until recent. I mean, very few distilleries have bars. Mental. Well, it's uh, another guest, Mitch, another episode. So it's it's one that I'm quite excited about because I know Callum uh, very well, as do you, but I'm working with Callum on Fable. But um, it was Callum's um, idea uh, as one of the co-founders of this idea, this project, and we talked about indie bottlings, Callum. You, you weren't you weren't here earlier, but mm. we were talking about some of the established names. You know, the Gordon and McPhails and the Adelphies and stuff. And these guys have really built up a great reputation of, of putting out some delicious whiskies. And I guess it was a great opportunity to sort of talk to someone who's created something recently, which is so eye catching and, and and quite different for the category of independent bottlings as well, which brings in different ideas. So. You know, Callum Laurie, uh, who, for those of you who are listening who don't know him, is the co-founder of Fable. And Fable is an independent bottler that's that's just recently launched. Uh, first bottles went out in June, Callum, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that'd be yeah. right. Um, so how do you start an independent bottler? Did you go for a beer and just have a crazy idea? How did it all come about? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a good question. And sometimes I look back and think, I, I'm not actually sure how we came up with that ourselves, but it was myself and uh, my business partner, Andrew Torrance. Um, he was used to be the MD at the whiskey shop. Um, prior to that, he'd been in the industry for a long time, working for the likes of Morrison Bowmore back in the day. Um, and we had uh, worked on launching Copper Dog Whiskey together. Um, so we kind of always known each other. Um, it was actually way back when, when we actually, we worked at Rick's, uh, Dad, you were a wee, wee bit later than me. That was a, a bar in Edinburgh. Um, that Andrew was actually my uh, my rep for Fjord Brands, it was called at the time. So that was something. You know, you know, that's quite funny. Basically, every story I've got, Always starts at Rex. Rex, yeah. Literally every I think every episode so far has mentioned Rick. <laughs> Literally every episode. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Not another Rex story. Uh, uh, everyone's just going to start tuning off now, going, here we go again. <laughs> Rex again. Uh, so, yeah, he used to try and pump me uh, Campari and Maduri. Uh, when no one was drinking it and um, so I've always known Andrew and when we were working on uh, Copper Dog together it wasn't I mean we, we weren't thinking about this project at that point uh, but obviously we were launching a brand in that contemporary space if you like um, and obviously that was that was linked to Diageo so it wasn't our brand per se um, so it was a little bit later uh, down the track where Andrew and I wanted to do something together. We obviously don't have a distillery. Uh, we don't have a, a family history in, in whiskey. We don't have the provenance, the heritage, but we could get access to whiskey. Uh, and we knew that. Uh, so the natural route was to try and have a go at trying to do an independent uh, bottling. And we didn't know what we were doing uh, as we set out. And we didn't know how challenged it could be um, or what path it was going to take us, how quick it would take us to grow, what markets we should be in. Uh, but it was just, like you say, it was an idea um, and we kept chipping away at it. And uh, and here we are now, uh, launched into a number of markets and there's, there's still challenges there as, a, as an indie bottler, uh, which we can get into. But uh, it's it's been quite a journey. I think it's, it's not to say that... Um, no one else could do it. I mean, you can. Um, it's, it just takes a lot of hard work and knowing a few people to, to get access to whiskey, ultimately. So, Callum, let's talk about some of those challenges because one of the things that Daz and I were just talking about is, you know, as, a, as an independent bottler, I think there's always been a love-hate relationship with distillers, right, and, and kind of mm. what the ind- independent bottlers are doing. So when you guys created this whole concept for Fable, did you have to say to who you were going to to get the casks which i know is is, is predominantly diageo or all diageo right yeah now. they want yeah, to see yeah. the plan for what you guys were doing or was it like a case of right these these casks are available pick and yeah we, we 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 uh, we'd certainly shared uh some of our plans and labels etc just to make sure that we were adhering to some of the the diageo code um so there was a part of that uh, at play for sure um but they were they were quite um open with us and quite um supporting of, of us doing what we wanted to do is as long as they had sort of not sign off if you like but just to make sure that we weren't doing something stupid uh, <laughs> with, the, with their liquids really um so we we have to bottle everything that we we get from diageo um so moving away from the liquid man i've got to say the packaging is I think the best packaging I've seen from any oh. independent bottle re- recently. I mean, it's absolutely Thanks, stunning, mate. and not not just the packaging, mate. The the, the storylines behind it as well. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about that. How do you guys come up with all these these kind of storylines behind each bottle? 
Yeah, we collaborated with a, an agency called GP Studio down in London. Andrew, while he was working at uh, the whiskey shop, um, had been in touch with GP Studio, who actually did a lot of the retail interiors for the Piccadilly shop. And they also uh, work on brand identity as well. So we got in touch with them early on um, in this sort of creative process um, and got some of their input. So we'd always kind of wanted something that would be quite striking, uh, something that would set us apart from the norm uh, and that obviously that traditional space, the Gordon McPhails of the world to do what they do brilliantly, uh, but we can't play on all those hooks that they have. So we wanted something that would look amazing on shelf uh, and maybe speak to a new audience, the kind of audience that's, that we've spoken to for a long time in our, our different brand uh, roles in the past. Um, so we, we had a quite loose brief with GP Studio um, around creating a brand that is very giftable. Um, and it's more about having a creative side to it, element to it, opposed to having the liquid up front and all the credentials. They all sit behind it and we can happily talk about all of that stuff. Uh, but if we were reaching out to a new audience, we, we needed something quite compelling, quite striking uh, that would attract a, other other people into the category. And to be fair, actually, we've got a lot of the old the, the old guard, if you like, the the, the real whiskey nerds that, that have come on this journey with us and, and they love what we're doing as well. I, I thought there might have been a a bit of a reaction from from them, a negative one, but it's not been the case. Um, so GP came back to us with um, this concept around fable, and obviously, you know, myth telling and Scotch go hand in hand. Um, so that's not new, but it was just to to try and put it on a label, a set of labels, and and tell the story all the way through. Um, and it was really to champion all the creatives that get a part of this as well, opposed to the usual brand managers that might take all the glory uh, for coming up with something. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> There's brand managers well, that listen to this. <laughs> they've all just suddenly turned off. I used to be uh, one of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, eh? I mean, I, I remember um, we were chatting about this not so long ago, Callum. I, I do remember we did the Valhalla collection on Highland Park and it's where you've got one big story and it has many characters within it. And it's a great thing for people to follow. It's a great thing for people to collect. And the one thing I think I learned was it was actually a brilliant way to bring people in for the first time, you know, something they recognize or something they relate to art story, whatever it might be. And then they get into the whiskey. And it is funny because um, having done quite a few tastings now with Fable, um, the old guard, they like it because it's another version, another example of some of these distilleries they just can't normally get their hands on. Dal Ewan, Linkwood, Blair Athol, you know, these distilleries are not always readily available. So they quite enjoy that exploration and that adventure piece. But then also the new person who's never tried an independent bottler before is, is brought in through the creative elements uh, because it looks so striking um, and it is so appealing. So it's one of those that I found quite interesting, just when you speak to different types of people, just the different ways that people are coming into Fable. And and I, and I think it's um, maybe it's we're starting to see independent bottlers cast strength, single cask things. Not I don't want to say mainstream because it's not the right word, but having a broader appeal perhaps than they ever did yeah. before because of products like this. Uh, we look at the guys at Bramble Whiskey Co. Very say, you know, beautiful, striking labels, good whiskey as well, backing it all up. But probably it's not the whiskey that's bringing people to that bottle yeah. in the first place, you know? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it was, there was a, a moment in time when I was in Nauticus in, in Edinburgh with uh, Kion. I, I kind of looked, glanced up at the back bar and noticed how many indies were out there. Um, mm. And for him and what he was looking for with his customers were to give them something different each time. Uh, there was no real point for him to to say have the Glenmore 10 every time what could we give our customers that are a little bit different so you could see that you know it's indies aren't mash yet I, I don't think they the other will be as such but uh, I think there certainly is more of a demand um, so uh, we're just hopefully at that kind of right 
point of uh, the indie journey now uh, to get to get a bit of awareness. May let's talk about these. So you've kindly given me some samples, or Daz gave mm. me some samples. Or I th- I'm assuming it would have been you that gave the samples to Daz to give to me. So, oh, thank you. I'm just a yeah. middleman. Uh, that's it, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'll be checking the office tomorrow to I see totally, what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm assuming, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I know chapter two is the Linkwood, but mm. just nosing them there, I'd go Linkwood, Dal Yu and Kalila in the order that yeah. I taste them. Is yeah. that the way you, you guys normally yeah. do? Yeah, no, definitely. I think, yeah. Uh, Linkwood obviously is, is that great introduction, uh, that more, and we'll go into taste it, but that, that slightly softer, grassier, fresh style of whiskey. Lemon, um, mate. I get huge punches of lemon yeah, coming through from this. Yeah. It turns it quite a bit more spicy with uh, mm. with a little dash of water as well. Yeah. Uh, me as well here, with, with Linkwood, I always find is that little bit of soft, almost soft white chocolatey kind of mallowy, sort of vibe you know vanilla into sort of malted vanilla that caramac type quality and i really do like that it's very subtle but with linkwood with all the grasses and the apples and the mm. yellow fruits and stuff it is always kind of there in linkwood and linkwood bizarrely when you speak to people it has a really strong following mm. for people that like it they absolutely love it don't they it's funny yeah no it's it's been one that i didn't realize how many fans of linkwood there would be and that's that always comes up um, and any of tastings is, is one of the highest uh, out of the set, which is which is which is amazing because I thought they would have gone for maybe something a bit more fruitier, um, a bit more spicier, mm. uh, or moving over to the likes of an Isla or something. But uh, I think it's it's a great introduction to our range, certainly. So, Callum, let's go through this one. Tell everyone what it's what it's aged in, year, all that kind of good stuff. ABV. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not sure which one you've got there, but effectively we've got 11 chapters in our story. um, And each of those chapters are linked to a certain distillery. So Kalila is uh, chapter one, Linkwood is chapter two, as you've said there. Um, And we'll do different iterations, different ages, different wood finishes in future um, for each of those different chapters, but always remain the, the same distillery type. Um, so the liquid that you might have is maybe around a 12 year old, perhaps. Um, yeah, to, uh, have... 2014 is the one I've got. Okay, so you've got uh, the seven year old. Uh, so this one we've just launched, we're just launching into the UK. Uh, not in front of me, actually. I've, I've got a 12 year old right here. Okay, Ah, no, the no, one gets the good stuff. I, I didn't want to give him all the good stuff, Callum. I didn't want to give him the good know. stuff. You know, but it's actually, he gets uh, enough. <laughs> <laughs> touchy point there, Callum. Touchy point. No, no, it's it's actually hard to get hold of my own stuff. It just seems to go out the door before I even get hold of it. So uh, we're not, always sort of scrapping not a bad around. Problem to have, mate. I know. No, it is. It isn't at all. So. Um, but the Linkwood um, and, and all the, the whiskies that we're doing right now are um, Asian hogs, hogsheads, um, refill um, bourbon barrels. So what we've tried to do with this set of whiskies is it's all about sort of stripping it back um, to the natural characters of each of the distilleries. That's what we've really tried to do with these uh, so we haven't had that much wood influence um, in the, the first iteration of Fable. And obviously we, we're talking about the, the Ghost Piper of Clanyard Bay series. But when we do move on to the next volume, which might be in about two years time, maybe 18 months, uh, we might look at different wood finishes. So it is that unadulterated, raw, stripped back um, style of whiskey so you can really really taste all those beautiful characteristics from the distillery and again the feedback that we've had on that has been uh, very positive and people are really starting to appreciate and being able to taste some of those uh, little nuances that they might not have been able to experience before um, obviously if it's if it's he- heavily sherried then that might disguise some of them so uh, all of our whiskies that you'll be able to purchase right now are uh, our hoggies now it's, it's exceptional you can see that with the color as well it's got this very light yeah. color um i wanted to go rewind a little bit you talked about the piper of clanyard bay uh, mm. i love that by the way and if it, anyone's listening go to the website 
uh, fablewhiskey.com and check out the video as well because the, the animation that goes with this whole story is absolutely spectacular. But let's talk about that story. Is that you mm. and Andy sitting around after drinking a bottle and making up that story? Or, or no, is it legit? That, that, that story is legit, uh, whether there's, there's truth in it, but uh, that story is legit. And what we've done is embellished it uh, a little bit for the animation. Uh, but the the storyline is is true, and we'll cherry pick different stories um, from around Scotland um, for each of the different volumes. So we've got one in the pipeline for the for the next uh, next volume. Beautiful. But the well, the just... guy the guy that did that uh, animation uh, was a guy called Hugo Queller. He's Bolivian, but he lived in Edinburgh for years, uh, so it was quite coincidental. Um, but lovely chap and what he managed to bring to life and through the labels uh, has just been exceptional way better than we could have ever expected um, and I think these are the kind of layers that Daz was talking about that just all those little touch points whether it be the packaging the animation the the prints that we have to go with each of the bottles you know these are all the nice little added values if you want to call them uh, that that people have really appreciated and yeah having having seen your handwriting callum i'm really glad that you didn't have a stab at the animations <laughs> yeah well <laughs> yeah my briefs to hugo you've actually seen one of my squiggles to, to hugo as to how perhaps the label should be formatted. Yeah, you you should the... stop sending drawings of, <laughs> of things like that to people. <laughs> yeah, I just blame Seb, my son, and just say it's one of his doodles, but it's Calum, actually mine. Calum's next release, release is going to be just matchstick men. Yeah, <laughs> smiley faces. <laughs> exactly. The stick men of Clanyard Bay. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's move on to the second dram, Callum. Uh, yeah. This is one that's close to my heart, because you've got, you got a bit mm. of Del in here, which I think is one of the most underrated single malt oh. scotch whiskies out there. Yeah. And Daz and I have chatted about this before. Um, and I've done a lot of digging into Dalyun because mm. I bought the, the house up, the old mm. excise officer's exactly. house up there. So uh, really kind of cool for me to see. And one of the stories I loved was there's a guy called Ray Lyons that used to live in the house. And he used to go down to the distillery. Uh, he was the excise officer down there and used to just go down with a, a flask of coffee or what everyone thought was a flask of coffee, but he used to sit in his office and just fill it up with new make spirit get absolutely lashed and then there's there's a path and it still exists today from the distillery up to the house and he used to take his irish wolfhound down with him so the irish wolfhound could pull him back up the hill back yeah. to the house so it's kind of cool whenever i do that walk because i do it often yeah slowly up i think about ray lyons and i'm like ah that's so i, I can see there's a steep walk i can see why I go yeah there. yeah yeah well, the next label we need to get an irish wolfhound on the dal ewan bottle somewhere and in, in tribute Mitch to the dragged yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> so that's that's my little fable about Dal Ewan. But yeah. Uh, yeah, let's let's crack into this. And I was having a little nose of this earlier. It's it nose is fantastic. Yeah, it's a cracker, and it's kind of one of the and one of those other whiskies that <clears throat> are, are lesser known um, and maybe aren't out there and readily available. But um, it is a classic space side. So you are getting those toffee apple pear. Um, it's just lots of fruit. No, but I remember, I always remember the Dal Ewan flora and fauna bottlings, mm. you know, from many years ago. And they were, yeah. I think that was a six, was it a 16 year old, the Dal Ewan? It was quite, quite mm. heavy in color, wasn't it? It was yeah. really dark. I always remember it had this little bit of tobacco and spice in it, but it was quite a fruity uh, single malt. And I haven't tried that many Dal Ewans. I tried a, mm. uh, a James Eady one quite recently, which again was quite a fruity, spicy one. This one's fruity, but it's less so on the spice, I would say. You know, it's got a yeah. lot more kind of. It's got Here's a stunning that. nose. It's almost like, um, like I agree with you, Callum, on everything you said already, but I almost get this like perfume, kind of rose petal mm. nose to it. Uh, I haven't added any water. That's just at uh, 56%. I know. It's quite, but it's yeah, quite, I take, I'm, I'm assuming you guys literally just pulled this out of the cask and jumped Yeah, in. absolutely. I mean, we obviously pull the samples off, try them all, make sure we're happy. But yeah, they're all non-chill filtered. Um, we, we obviously don't add any colour, so you are getting those straw sort of um, straw whiskies coming through. But um, they actually probably been drinking for too long now, but they're quite quaffable. Yeah. Um, even at even at that 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 ABV. I, 
I think, I, I mean, for me, that works a little bit better with, with a splash of water, but I, I agree yeah. 100%. Yeah. There wasn't any burn yeah. Yeah. when it was neat, you know, it was completely fine. Which is maybe just because I'm a raging alcoholic. <laughs> no. I, think, I think you've done it in the right way, though. You start with the linkwood, you yeah. move up to the fruitier daluin, yeah. um, and then we take a wee spin over to over to Isla. Mm. Over to Kalila. Mm-hmm. Is that a cue to get on the Kalila? The thing is with Kalila, because it's such a it's it's probably of of the distilleries that we have in the Fable collection, probably the best known distillery. Mm. Um, and and a distillery that I would say is reasonably well sought after now. Uh, people really love the elegance of of Kalila uh, for an Isla. It is light, crisp, clean. It has these beautiful, like light orangey kind of fruit notes to it. And and it's funny, isn't it? Because a lot of people they just think of the smoke, but the flavour behind the smoke is so important. And each distillery has it, you know, you see in Lefroy, you see this mossiness behind it. There's some of that lemon and herbal qualities in Lefroy. But uh, here at, at Kalila, it's that lovely clean orangey that I, I love. I, I, and, I, and I adore Kalila for that because you get all the benefits of the smoke, but then also the benefits of these big tall stills that they've got at that distillery there as well, you know. Um, yeah. and, and, and it's great young and it's great old. Khalil is one of those ones that yet to find a bad one, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's and, and we've got uh, some younger Khalil cast, seven-year-old, and then we've got some older ones up at kind of 12 years old. And it's just so interesting just to kind of go back and forward between them. Yeah, for me, mate, that, that's like classic Khalil from our Diageo days, you know? Yeah. Well, Callum, you were there for a bit as well. You know this. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. I always said to people, um, frazzles. And that's again just it mm. took me straight back to Frazzles as soon as I noticed that there, that smoky bacon. Yeah, it is that kind of smoky, smoky barbecue fish, uh, citrus all over it. Um beautiful cam. Well, they're they're amazing, mate. I haven't got what's the ABV on the Kalila? I haven't got that written on the bottom. Uh, oh well, if it's the same one I've got here, uh it looks like 57.6. So another big one. Mm-hmm. All right, so shameless plug for the brand. Where can people yeah. buy it? How much are each one of these? Yeah, so we are in a lot of the kind of well-known uh, retailers uh, around the country. So whether it's the, the Green Wellish, uh, either Mass or Mall, um, we're just about to release chapters six, seven, and eight because um, we've done um, chapters one to five twice now. Uh, so you should be able to get your hands on six, seven, and eight. Probably uh, end of November time is is kind of what we're we're hoping for. Just in time um, for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you're looking around sort of 70, 75, up to sort of 100 for the Kalila. Um, so we, we, we've not tried to be too clever. Uh, we, we tried to price match uh, everyone else, the established guys on, on the same kind of ages. So there's a lot that goes into what we do. Uh, we're small, but we, we don't want to, uh, to price people out, basically. We want people to enjoy our whiskey. Yeah, so check them at Fable Whiskey on social media and you can find out more about the whiskies. You can check out all the beautiful packaging that we've been talking about and We'll share uh, some lovely pictures as well on uh, Not Another Whiskey podcast as well. So, Callum, do you want to hang around for some um, some top facts about independent bottlers? Absolutely. All right. So interesting facts about independent bottlers that will not get you any friends at a bar. Now, as we discussed earlier on, a lot of distilleries are kind of funny about putting their name on a bottle from an independent distiller. So uh, they came up with this idea called teaspooning which is very different from teabagging, Daz. Remember is it? Back, yeah, back in your days in Recife, I, I know that went on a lot. So this mm-hmm. is very different, not to get confused. So <laughs> teaspooning is when basically a distillery uh, will take a cask of whiskey and they'll drop a teaspoon of another style of whiskey into that cask. Uh, and then it becomes a blended malt, no longer a single malt scotch whiskey. So uh, an independent bottler can't put their name on it. So this is very much done to protect uh, the integrity, I suppose, or if a, if a company is very precious about about their brand going out there. Uh, so a couple of examples of these. Well, it, it originated, I believe, from William Grant and Sons. Daz, I don't know if you, you've got anything to to contradict that, but 
Um, I believe William Grant and Sons started doing it. So they've got different names for their whiskies when they when they do this. So Wardhead is teaspooned Glenfiddich, Burnside is teaspooned Balvenny, and Alduni is teaspooned Caninvi. Uh, and then I know that uh, Mort Hennessy, Louis Vuitton do it as well with Glenmorangie, and they call that Westport, and they teaspoon a little bit of Glen Murray in there. So there you go. How many independent bottlers are there? I've had a bit of research on this. Um, Mitch, you've done others, which is contrary, but there we reckon there's definitely over 100 independent bottlers. I thought it was 61. Mitch, you think it's over 100. Callum, as an independent bottler, wow. what are you thinking? I would have thought around 40, but I didn't realise it would go as high as that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to stick to 61, which includes Fable. There you go. Right, Mitch, what's next? Um, well, I was going to talk about the Single Malt Scotch Whiskey Society again. So Scotch Malt Whiskey Society now has over 30,000 members internationally. Um, and as we previously mentioned, it has four venues around about the UK. It was founded in 83 by a gentleman called Pip Hills. He was an avid whiskey fan, still is an avid whiskey fan, living in, in Edinburgh at the time. And uh, he did a trip up to the Highlands of Scotland in the late 70s where he bought a cask from a family-run distillery. I couldn't find out what distillery that was. He then shared it with his mates who loved how it tasted. Uh, and then they went and bought another cask of Glenfarclas, and that's how it all kind of kicked off until eventually they formed a society which went public in 1983 uh, getting to where it is now. So pretty incredible story when you think about how successful that is now. Yeah, 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 definitely. You mentioned it a lot. You've got shares in them or mm. something. Yeah. yeah, it's good, man. It's, uh, how many no, countries are they in, Mitch? Uh, I don't know. I looked. I did look at their partner partner bars internationally, mm. and there was over 100 bars in there, probably wow. from, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 countries. Mm-hmm. So they're doing all right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Get to that point, mate. Then I'll be impressed. Yeah, yeah, well, this is it. But this is the way of doing it, right? And this is one of the facts, but it's something we've covered already. Independent bottler is probably the best way of realizing your dream of owning a whiskey business, isn't it? In terms of startup costs and getting access to things. And it's like you say, Callum, it's probably finding the right people is probably the hardest part about it. Um, and actually, if you if you want, you can actually contract out every part of the process or bits of the process, depending on where your passion sits. So if you like blending whiskey or if you like doodling and making labels you know there's bits of that you can do yourself or there's bits of that that you can sort of let other people do if you can afford to do it of course Um, and that is probably the best way to start your journey of owning a distillery because look at hunter lane they've opened art on the back of their independent bottling business you know there's loads of other examples of that that we've kind of already covered so when will the fable distillery Open Callum, that is the question, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, let's go for 2025. Are, you, are, we, are we going to put that in my KPIs? Is that? A, is that <laughs> yeah, a... yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go, exactly. guys. You heard it here first. Fable Whiskey 2025. Where's it going to be, go. and what are you going to call it, Callum? Tom Fairman. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Fairman, and it'll be called uh, the Wee Fable Distillery because it'll be uh, a ten liter still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, guys. Well, well, Daz, that's it. Another episode in the bag. Big thanks to Callum. Callum, thank you so much for joining oh, us. Thank you. Um, yeah, and, and like I said earlier, thank you to everyone who's been listening to our episodes and coming up and uh, giving us some positive th- feedback, both virtually and in person. It's uh, it's great to get that. If you are listening to this on Spotify, uh, not Spotify, Spotify. Nice. If you if you're listening to this on Spotify, wait. If you listen to this on, on Spotify, um, I've attached a wee poll asking what you guys would want to see us do in future episodes. Uh, personally, I was thinking about shaving uh, Daz's head for a session, but I don't think that would translate too well in a podcast. So I no. might have to rethink that one. Uh, but if you're listening on another platform, please please feel free to hit us off, uh, up on Instagram if you don't want to do the Spotify thing. Or, which is, you know, not another whiskey podcast, or hit us up on an email, uh, whiskeypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, you know, and who knows, we might even give you uh, a shout out on the next show, right, Daz? Nice one. Absolutely, Mitch. Yeah, definitely. Well, next episode, we're going to go to the Lowlands, aren't we? We're going to have a little quiz around the Lowlands and uh, have a bit of a focus on King's Barns, which will be really, really cool as uh, a couple of Fifers going up to 
a distillery in Fife. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe we could do some research and to find a good place where the Fable distillery can be made. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. And may all your whiskies be wet and silky, just like Daz's underwear. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a question for the marketers listening. Want to find that perfect customer beyond the world of scrolling, swiping, and searching? Here's a secret to make sparks fly. Smooth talking with podcast ads. With Acast, you can reach millions of listeners who'll be hanging on your every word. On the train to work, in the gym, or waiting in line for coffee. Start up the conversation with podcast listeners anywhere and everywhere. And they're looking for love. 60% of listeners have a higher trust in brands they've met on podcasts compared to social. Get closer to your audience. Make podcast ads with Acast. Head to go.acast.com slash closer to get started.